This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon. The unique blend of hunting, conservation, and the outdoor lifestyle delivered in an entertaining, informative fashion that only a veteran outdoorsman can do. DSC's Campfires is brought to you by DSC, Conservation, Education, and Hunter Advocacy. Hornady, Accurate, Deadly, Dependable. Trigicon, Brilliant Aiming Solutions. Taurus, Makers of the Raging Hunter Handgun. Burnham Brothers Game Calls, Double Nickel Taxidermy. Now here's your host, Larry Wysoon. Welcome to another campfire session, a DSC campfire, and guess what? We're back in the DSC offices. I'm probably going to get in trouble for starting a campfire in Corey Mason's office, but uh, Corey appreciates a good campfire like I do as well, too. And that said, Corey Mason, DSC Executive Director, is that right? That's correct. And, but also of the foundation, the DSC Foundation, of which I am thrilled to see you in that position for so many different reasons. We're post-convention. I mean, we had an absolutely fantastic, huge family reunion. What was your impression, and, and where, where do we go from there? Because it was absolutely out of this world good. Yeah, it's, it's great to be with you, Larry. We, we did. We made it out alive, and we made it out with... Uh, <laughs> With just a lot of uh, a lot of good marks behind us, you know, we we really were blessed in the sense of the number of people that really showed their allegiance to DSC and the DSC mission. And by that, I mean all of our exhibitor partners internationally that that braved all the challenges that they had from international travel bans in their country, international travel bans from the United States to their country, um, and then just the challenges from things from supply chain shortages to everything else. Uh, obviously the the, the COVID challenges very specifically as well, but they showed up. Um, and our exhibitors were, our exhibitors are the backbone of what made our convention the best in the world. 
Because they are the best in the world. They are the best in the world. That's right. There, there's no question about it. One of the things I always appreciate about DSC, more so than any of the other conventions, you see a few smiles at the other conventions, but it's hard to find a person that is not smiling while they're at the DSC <laughs> convention the entire time from, from the from the opening of the doors to the closing of the doors to even to the night as far as the banquets and the auctions are concerned. Well, you know, that's exactly right. And we had 25,000-plus attendees this year, and that's unique people. That's not the same person counted each day. Exactly. That's unique people, which is pretty special. It, 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 we are, without a doubt, the largest convention in North America from an attendee standpoint uh, and from a commerce standpoint as well. You know, the amount of commerce that takes place on that convention floor, if it's someone buying their their first sleeping bag to take on a you know mule deer hunt in the mountains uh, to a spotting scope they're going after pronghorn or, or bird watching or whatever they may use it for to an international trip in uh, everything in between a beautiful piece of art to go on the wall oh my gracious yes that we had the highest exhibitor satisfaction it really exceeded our expectations this year you know we we knew going into it there were many unknowns uh, we we knew that and we knew that we had some risk of of. We went all chips to the center of the table. You know, we were going to go big. <laughs> exactly. It was our we're 40th event, and we're all in. We were all in for a lot of reasons, you know, for the success of our exhibitor partners that needed to be successful to deliver a great event for our attendees, and then ultimately for the success of DSC as well and the opportunity to continue to support and fund our mission. And all the pieces really came together well. Again, we had great attendees, and the attendees that came, they came and they supported our exhibitor partners. They they supported financially. They engaged. They they signed up for memberships. We set a new membership record exceeding 7,000 there at convention. And so it was just incredible the support that people showed DSC and our exhibitor partners. And our exhibitors left with, you know, full calendars are, you know, they, they sold out a product. And we had, I think, of a few people offhand that said, hey, we, we didn't bring enough of our product. They sold out Saturday morning, you know. And so they were selling things that they had to ship, you know. And I was walking the floor early Saturday morning. The gentleman said, he's like, I'm, I'm selling essentially from a, uh, an example product on on my table right now. You know? <laughs> it's all that's left. And right? he had a huge smile on his face. You know, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, to to someone that that does fishing trips in South America, and he said, "I've never sold this many fishing trips at any convention." And this was Saturday. We still had all day Saturday and Sunday. You know, so exhibitor satisfaction was great. Our and then we kind of switch and look towards the opportunities to engage in seminars and on the conservation stage and. Great fulfillment, a wonderful slate of speakers, yourself included, and those opportunities to for people to engage in people they hear from and they want to talk to and ask questions to and learn about relevant topics and items and things to self-inform and educate. And our night banquets were great. Auctions did fabulous. So, I mean, we were just so blessed in so many ways. We truly were. Again, like I said, there's, everybody had a smile on their face. Yep. And I, I, wanna, I, I heard you say something, and it, it really caught me. By, kind of not by surprise, but in a fabulous surprise. Yeah. How many new members? Yeah, well, we had uh, we hit the 7,000 mark at convention. So, oh, how fantastic. Yes. So it's super exciting. We had uh, people that signed up as life members that had been members for a long time, and they said, you know what? The word we heard a lot was interesting word, and it was brave. And we heard that from our brave. international exhibitors. They said, thank you for being brave and delivering this convention. Because what it meant for our international exhibitors was literally a lifeline to continue to operate. It's, it's that simple for them. And they said, thank you for being brave in a sense of the cost that we incurred to deliver a convention during COVID and the additional measures that we had to pay for that nobody saw. At night, you know, we had teams in there that were, you know, misting and spraying to, to kill everything at night. All these kinds of steps that right. we 
additional costs we incurred. And people that had knowledge of it, of course, were aware of the fact that it cost us more to deliver this convention uh, from that side of things. And being the first convention out of the gate, the risk that we took of who's going to show up, you know? Well, everybody showed up. Well, everybody showed ready up. to go. Thank, thank you for being there. Thank you, thank you, thank That's you. That's right. There was a lot of pent-up demand, and we were very appreciative of people supporting our, our great exhibitor partners the way they did. It, it was so interesting, to also in terms of the people who were there. I mean, we had, yep. as you mentioned, absolutely fantastic attendance. But it always amazes me how many families we see there. You bet. Uh, not just old guys like me and, you know, and, <laughs> and uh, younger, a little bit younger guys, <laughs> but, but the families. And I spoke to so many people who's, who were there with their young kids. Yep. And it, it was so fun to watch those kids go, oh my gosh, you know, you could just see their eyes light up when they were looking at, at some of the mouse course of taxidermy sure. that we have there is just phenomenal as well, too. You, you mentioned the fishing thing. Mm-hmm. Little bit by little bit, it seems like uh, we're getting a few more more opportunities for fishing with the exhibitors that come up. We are. So we have a number from, uh, of course, South America. Uh, right. We have a specific shark fishing guide and operation that just is absolutely uh, known far and wide and does a spectacular job. And so, and of course, we have a strong contingency from a Florida standpoint, from an Alaskan standpoint, um, and they do very, very well. And uh, it's a really nice rounding out of the slate of opportunities in the convention hall. Yeah. They'll bring the fishing thing up for another reason, because once everything settled and everybody was gone, you and I, Brandon, uh, Houston <laughs> had an opportunity to disappear basically for the day, go yes. fish. Uh, uh, Lake Texoma for stripers, which was absolutely oh, great, spectacular, great amount of fun. I had thought about doing a, a podcast from there, and I thought, you know, no, 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 this is going to be about us just getting out <laughs> and catching fish. Nothing about all this other kind of thing, but uh, but I'm proud to see the fishing thing. I'm this this past week, I was at the NBS show, which is the nation's best sport. It's a big dealer wholesaler type show, and the amount, even though a lot of people are buying for hunting season now, you know, getting stocked up, there was a huge fishing presence. And Envision with several of the reps, uh, they were telling me that the fishing side of things is just breaking wide open once again. That's great to hear. Getting people outdoors. Absolutely. And and that's kind of the way I look at it. Uh, they'll fish, they're going to end up hunting sooner or later. And, and even if they don't, that's it. they'll at least get an opportunity to spend time outdoors and get a better understanding. And I think that I've, I've made the statement numerous times in, in presence of a lot of, you know, all life on earth depends upon the death of another organism directly mm-hmm. or indirectly, whether people want to admit that or not, that's, that's right. something else. But, uh, and we've talked a little bit about the COVID thing in two, in the fact that we're seeing a lot of this field of fork type mm-hmm. of thing yeah. of, uh, people now realizing that food doesn't come from the grocery store. It's got to initiate right. somewhere else. And, you know, envisioning with some of the people at the convention, that was obvious too, because I talked to several people who, who ask, where can I go hunting where I can bring the meat home with mm-hmm. me? Uh, it's become very important. I know I'm busy with Greg Simons as well, too. Greg is yep. thankfully one of our, our board of directors at DSC, but also his wildlife system. And a friend of mine had called and said, hey, I'd love to, I want to go kill a Neil guy. He'd uh, contact us a little call Greg. He said, but I'll tell you what, I'll call him. And so I called Greg and I said, Greg, you got any open for a Neil guy? And he goes, 
Larry, if I had 1,500 more hunts, I could fill those, and I'd still not have enough. So, wow. You know, so some of that's going on. And he also yeah. told me, he said, you know, we used to get a lot of nil guy meat because somebody, they take a little bit of it, that's what they can mm-hmm. carry. He said, now when they come and shoot a nil guy, he said, they take all of it. Yep. So we're seeing a lot of that. And, and, and I think all that leads to a better appreciation, too, of the animal and the habitat and all that goes into production of those animals. And then the, the opportunity to participate in it. You know, when you have people now that, again, that have the opportunity to get out and reconnect like at the convention and to go hunting. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And that are bringing families, to your point. You know, we've seen uh, the number of, you know, young ladies that were at our convention was wonderful. You know, to see that, obviously, as a father of a young daughter. Absolutely. That, that has a very keen eye to how many, you know, 12, 10, 15-year-old ladies that are there. Uh, thinking of what does this look like for my daughter as she matures through her opportunities outdoors, you know, to see the participation at that level is it's just so heartening because there are so many kids that were like at our convention that that love to get outdoors. There were. And let, let's talk about that just a little bit. Your daughter is one of my favorite people. I've I, I told you this before from, a, from an older guy who had kids. Great. I love your daughter because Thank of you. her personality, her smile, but also the fact that she, she dearly loves the outdoors. And I happened to be on the FTW when she uh, yeah. uh, hit the target the first time, shooting at a thousand yards. She turns with a smile on her face that I will never, ever forget. It's like she's dropping the mic. Yeah. You know, okay, it's out of this world, kid. Yep. What can we as parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, or even somebody who doesn't have kids, what can we do to get more involved? And in saying that, too, to me it's important not only to get the kids involved, we get everybody involved, but what can we do specifically, do you think, that uh, to, to get the children involved a little bit more with the outdoors? You know, I, I appreciate that. something that, I, that I'm sort of confronted with every time I go to one of my daughter's basketball games or track meet or whatever it might be, and several of her her peer friends and their fathers hunt but without exception none of them take their daughters hunting uh but yet they do and they know k hunts and so their daughters put pressure on their dads to take them hunting you know (laughs) and uh and then of course i have a fun time joking and and ribbing with them a bit and i'm like well i'm going to take your daughter hunting she's going to take her first deer with me you know and and uh and i say you know you're really missing a huge opportunity here and uh and in fact, we plan to, to take one of them hunting next year. You know, we're going to go to the range, and obviously, we would have their parents' permission well, of course, to do so, yes. of course. But, yeah. uh, but we're you know just really encouraging that and, and, and showing it. You know, and you know one of the things that I had to learn when I started taking Kate hunting is we'd be there in the blind because you know I, I guided hunts for a number of years, and I have had a, a tendency to hunt very physical, demanding type hunts in the West right, and right. keep myself in good shape so that I can do those kinds of things and take pride in that and. Um, but my wife reminded me, Corey, it has to be fun. Yes. You know, so we might go sit somewhere for 30 minutes and then it's getting kind of close to that time where I would expect more deer movement morning or evening. And my daughter said, I'm, I'm ready to go move around. Let's go pick up sheds or throw yeah. rocks or whatever. And I'm sitting there thinking, but it's, but it's just like, but, 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 yeah, but, but, but then I have but, to remind but, myself, this has to be fun. She's tired. It's time to go move around, absolutely. you know? And so I had to sort of rebuild that in my mind as to what a hunt looks like when she was younger because it has to be engaging. Uh, sure, I want opportunity for her, but more than anything, she wanted to rock around. She wanted to go jump frogs off the tank dam. She wanted to do whatever, and that was part of the experience. And reminding myself of that now, that's I now I build that into the experience. You know, if we take another young lady with us, we're doing that. Yes, sir. And so I think it's just the, the parents also remembering what 
what the kid needs to be engaged in the hunt. It's not sitting still for four hours. That's not fun. Yeah, no, it's not all about yeah. pulling that trigger. It's That's all right. the things that are involved with it. When my daughters first started hunting with me and they started, they shot their first deer as my grandkids did, my granddaughter did when they were like eight or nine years old, yep. depending on the eight, if I thought they were mature enough to sure. do so, nine, if, you know, if they matured a little bit later than that. But one of the things we always did is I'd find out everything when we were hunting out of blinds, I'd find out whatever their mother and my wife or my daughters did not say, you can't eat the, I don't want you eating these kind of cookies or this kind of drink. And yep. my gosh, I'd fill up the bags with it. We'd sit in the blind and eat Oreo cookies yep. and potato chips and crackling, making noises and all that other kind of thing. And so there we go. Forgot to turn my phone off, but, uh, I want it to be a very fun experience kind of thing. And I, we're blessed here in, in, in the South in that we're not fighting deep snows and those kind of things. And we're yep. blessed in the South in most of our states where there's not an 11 or 12-year-old minimum or you have to be That's that right. old before you can have a, have a hunting license. Yep. And the unfortunate thing of that is, is by the, if they don't get that opportunity to spend time outdoor, by the time they get to 11 and 12, so very often they're involved in every organized sport there is and uh, or game to me. Yep. Anything you play with a ball is a game, yep. I should say. But, <laughs> but anyway, you know, to me it's so very important that we get these young people out, as we were just talking, but also we're seeing more and more adult mentorship type things. Not just mentorship for younger people, but also for people who are slightly younger in terms of age of mature people and the old people as well, too. Yeah, they're they're reaching out, and they even like call the DSC office looking for an opportunity to say, Hey, where can I safely handle a farm, get the opportunity to shoot something before I, when I say shoot something, I mean shoot a target, you right, know, to exactly. engage safely yeah. in the in the manner of shooting responsibly. And people, you know, call asking and looking for where can I, you know, without having to buy a farm, where can I try one? I kind of say that in air quotes, but the opportunity right. to get behind a farm and get experience. And, and it's, it's a wonderful call to receive because you see someone that wants to engage in something new. They're open-minded to try it and not having an understanding for each individual what got them to that point. But yet their desire to want to, to get outdoors ultimately, you know, and to shoot and engage, it's, it's neat to see. And we've seen, I mean, a number of ranges here just within 10 minutes of the DSC office uh, that are built that have indoor ranges. And, and you know, the, the busyness of those facilities is incredible. People yeah. want to shoot. They enjoy doing it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're, DSC is, is so many different things, but we're also very blessed in terms of partnerships that we have with different organizations. And we're talking about youth hunting here and even adult type hunting. Texas Wildlife Association is, is one of our great partners through the Texas Youth Hunting Organization. Uh, I think the latest number is close to uh, 70,000, 80,000 people half those at least being children, the other half being parent or adult, that has been introduced to hunting through this program. And now they have the field uh, FARC type program and they have adult yep. mentorship programs as well too. So all those, that's an important part of DSC as well too. It is, getting people outdoors in a, in a safe, constructive manner in which they're they're being educated and, and not entertained in the sense of true entertainment, but in the ability to safely enjoy what they're going to get to do, you know. And, uh, you know, organizations like TWA that work really closely with us to do so in a very constructive manner and have staff and facilities to organize that and do it right. Um, very important organizations. And there's so many ways that we can help each other. And there are other organizations, too. We do that. amount of thing with the 
Mule Deer Foundation. We're yep. very fortunate. As far as I'm concerned, it's it's. It, I feel sorry for the Mule Deer Foundation that they've lost Brian Fino, <laughs> but I am so proud that us. he is here. That beyond everything else, he's a very dear friend. But uh, beyond all that, his experience coming in with his new de, uh, director of development to me, and we just had a uh, podcast with him not very long ago. But to me, that's another, and there's. That, that's just another big important step. Let, I want to come back and do. I know that advocacy is becoming so very important. I want to come back. I want you to touch on a little bit, and then I want yep. to come back at another time where we can really delve into what all advocacy means as far as we're concerned in terms of outdoors people who love outdoors, who love hunting, and we know that conservation is hunting, and hunting is conservation. Yeah, you bet. So sort of in the context of DSC, we see that advocacy kind of slash government affairs in the sense of our direct ability to engage state and federal legislators. And federal legislators has been our key focus with some state challenges that we spend a lot of time in on um, regarding upcoming legislative challenges. And that's the sense of new pieces of legislation that we may support or we may oppose, as well as proactively educating and engaging in those things, writing position papers and providing good information to legislators as to they know how we as an organization would uh, would support and appreciate them to consider voting based on here's the facts associated with this piece of legislation and engaging with them and also building the relationships between foreign wildlife ministries and foreign uh, embassies as to how that would interact with U.S. Uh, members of Congress regarding pieces of legislation that members of Congress are, are uh, contemplating and ultimately voting on in the near future. But being that physical contact in front of our U.S. Congress, in most cases, to educate them on the proven benefits of legal regulated hunting and the need for science to be the driver in wildlife management. Science-based. That's it. You're right. I want to come back to that a little bit. You know, anybody that owns property is a wildlife manager, whether you own a, a backyard or not. Yep. We've got a new segment that we added not very long ago called Conservation Today that's brought to us by Hayden Outdoors. They're one of North America's best and greatest real estate people and when it comes to anything having to do with outdoors. Let's get a few words from, from Phil Phillips, and then we'll be right back. One thing to consider if you're looking for a hunting ranch, maybe one of the most important things, if you're out west, you might want to try to find a piece of land if you can't buy 10,000 acres, say you're buying 160 so you get a landowner voucher, you might want to find 160 acres that actually borders national forest or is near national forest that has good access that will really open up your hunting opportunities. So if the animals aren't on your small piece of property any given time, you've got access to getting tags, but you've got a lot of land not far away that you can access and have some good hunting on. Now, if you're down in Texas, one thing to consider, buy a little piece of ground. If it's surrounded by other small pieces of ground, everybody's got a feeder out. It's going to be hard to find mature animals, but if you can find a piece of ground that you can afford next to bigger ranches, you want to really consider what your neighbors are doing, how they're managing their ground. If they've got high fences, it'd be blocking you out from from deer that might be coming back and forth. So there's a lot to consider when you're buying a piece of hunting property besides just the property you're looking at. If your primary interest in a hunting ranch is mule deer, in West Texas they've got animals that will grow their whole life on the same ranch. Western Kansas on the river bottom is similar to that, but there's some parts of the West where you have a migrating herd. So you can have pictures in the late fall of giant mule deer bucks, but in the summer and early fall during hunting season, they may be 100 miles away. So make sure when you look at a ranch, and if it's a mule deer you're interested in, that those deer are local deer or that the migration is happening during hunting season on that piece of property. So I have people calling me all the time that want to buy a hunting property. A lot of times I don't even know what state they're thinking about. You know, if you're going to do high fence, exotics, Texas is probably the place. If you start talking about mule deer and elk, you probably want to talk about out west. You're going to need to find somebody out there that really understands hunting properties 
there's a lot of brokers that will tell you that yeah this is a great elk property look at the sign there's elk all over the place they buy the place they get out there and they find out it's perfect winter range it's full elk in january that doesn't help them out much so you want to ask the right questions make sure it's a place look at the sign make sure there's rubs wallows there's a lot of things you want to look for particularly in an elk property to make sure that they're there during the hunting season when you need them there you know something else to consider if you're buying a ranch you don't want to get a place you want to make sure the zoning's correct in other words there's certain areas that there's a big development and you think you're buying a 50 or 80 acre piece of property so you should be able to do what you want to but the covenants may not allow it there's other areas that the zoning you have to have 20 acres to be able to bow hunt i lived in a place in virginia for a little while where you actually could bow hunt on three acres and there were so many deer in the area my wife's nephews actually took their first two bucks on three acres so sometimes it doesn't take a real big piece of property especially for whitetails but make sure that it's allowable because if you don't ask the right questions you spend you know a pile of money get to the place and you get, end up with a ticket for shooting a buck and no place to hunt so that's not what you, you so very much for joining us today and Corey, we're talking about several different things. We're kind of on the, we, we've opened the door to a lot of topics. <laughs> and to me, those topics really deserve to have their own full discussion. And I'd, I'd love to come back and and maybe we mentioned Brian and maybe some of the other people. And maybe even get some of those guys involved a little bit. We started all this off with talking about post-convention and how fantastic <laughs> our convention was. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what the plans are for the future, because I know the dates are set. I've yep. seen those. You bet. So, you know, we wrap up convention and we, we really celebrate those successes. We have a number of debris so we can just continue to make a better and better convention as we go forward. So convention never turns off. It's a 365 type of thing. It's always <laughs> a, a work in progress, if you will. But then many of the other sides of DSC take place that are, that maybe are seen or unseen by others, but, but also as part of that convention, what I didn't mention is the number of members of U.S. Congress that we have there and the members yes. that attend from wildlife ministries abroad uh, and the yes. relationships and, you know, that are, that are built there importantly. And so then we take that forward and we look as we move through the calendar now, the follow-ups and the time in Washington, D.C. that I will have with these uh, ambassadors and foreign uh, dignitaries and delegations that will be here and connecting them with members of Congress, working through a number of needs and challenges as we go forward. As we work towards right now over the, the coming couple of months, uh, CITE standing committee meetings that will come up. So we, that we will ensure both through DSC and through the foundation grants for organizations like Conservation Force that legal regulated hunting and sustainable use is a sound principle of wildlife management around the world. Uh, to ensure that that very sound body of evidence is present is present in those rooms, we'll work through things like that. We'll work to continue to build our our donor base to fund our mission. We'll work right. through through grant funding. We have some really significant membership drives coming up over the next couple of months as well. From our communication strategy, there's there's lots of pieces of DSC that are that are ahead of us, and a couple of very significant events coming up as we have a historic rifle society event on June the third. Immediately Absolutely. followed by the DSC Foundation Gala the next day on the 4th. The gala last year was so much fun and truly, truly successful in so many different ways, as was yep. Historic Rifle. And uh, I'll tell you what, let, let's do this. Let's come back at another time and we'll, we'll get a little bit closer to that date. We'll talk about those things. But I'm going to have you back on next week. I want to talk a little bit more about, okay, the convention's over with. 
where do we go from here to the next convention? Where does the money go that we spend or that was spent? And yep. we were very fortunate in a lot of ways to have have a very successful financial venture. Always looking for more. So yep. if somebody wants to contribute money or contribute products, they can call the DSC office. Absolutely. And, uh, <laughs> and of course, through the DSC Foundation as well, too, which is a 501c corporation thing. So uh, let's join people right back here next week, if you will, if you've got the time to join me next week. And folks, we'll see you right back here at DSC Campfires about a week from right now. Thanks for joining us around the campfire. To leave a comment or suggestion for an upcoming episode, go to Instagram at Larry Wysoon Outdoors. Please join me right here next week for another DSC's Campfires. DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon has also been brought to you by The Crown Bar in LaGrange, Texas, H3 Whitetail Solutions, Remington, Texas Wildlife Association, TRHP Outdoors, 